We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to a Monday, week three of the NBA edition of the Rotowire NBA podcast, presented as always by WinBet. Check out winbet.com for all of your sports wagering needs. Please also rate and review the Rotowire NBA podcast on your platform of choice. Uh, that helps us out a ton. Uh, I am joined, as I always am, on Mondays by Rotowire's James Anderson. Uh, James, we got a full rundown today, a lot of things to get to. Um, and first and foremost, the, the long awaited release of the 2021-22 NBA City jerseys, uh, something that is near and dear to my heart, uh, something that I'm glad that you took a look at and we can discuss because I, I know historically you don't care nearly as much about jerseys as I do. So I appreciate you taking the time to do your research and kind of humor me on this topic. Well, I mean, <clears throat> I don't want to make it sound like I don't care about jerseys because I, I do care. I just don't care as much as you do. Um, I mean, <laughs> I think that's a fair think, way to say it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, a lot of these are pretty, pretty sweet. Yeah, I was I was impressed with the crop overall. Uh, I, I feel like, you know, they've, they've released so many jerseys over these last couple of years that even uh, jersey historians like myself are starting to get a little overwhelmed. I think we're uh, a little oversaturated on the jersey market, to be honest. I, I didn't really think that with Nike taking over the contract that we'd be getting like three new uniforms seemingly for each team every single year. So it's been a lot to keep track of. There's been a lot of duds over these last few years, but I would say at least like 25 out of the 30 new ones that we got today, I don't, I don't hate. There's a few that are pretty repulsive. There's a couple, you know, a lot of the usual suspects kind of mailed it in as far as the design. Um, but for the most part, a lot of these are are pretty striking. And for the most part, I think in a positive way. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say maybe like eight to 10 of them are like awesome. And then like another... 12 are unoffensive and another half dozen are just really rough. So I want to start with the Spurs clear. Number one for me, I, this is pretty much the exact Spurs uniform that I've always wanted. Um, I've, I'm a sucker for that color scheme. The, like the light, almost like peachy orangish yellow, the, the bright teal, the pink, um, they, they didn't overdo it. Uh, we'll talk about the Bucks uniform in a minute. A lot of cool callbacks on that one, but I, I do feel like maybe they tried to do a little too much. Uh, whereas the Spurs, I, I feel like used the perfect amount of color, still kept it fairly neutral with the white, uh, you know, base color, the black Spurs logo, um, you know, across the chest. But but the accent colors on that one are awesome. So that's the first one that jumped out to me. Uh, I think Atlanta's, which is kind of a callback to like the Dikembe Mutombo, Mookie Blaylock days, um, but with a yellow base looks really good. Um, Houston's kind of a callback to the early Steve Francis days. That one looks really good. Um, and we should know it. I mean, if you're listening to this, chances are you've probably seen most of these. But it seems like the goal was to, you know, kind of mash together as many old uniforms into one new concept. Um, and some teams, you know, mixed more than others. You know, other teams like like the Celtics, you know, kept it fairly basic because their uniforms have like never changed over the last 70 years. But 
Um, a, a lot of cool concepts in here. Yeah, <clears throat> you know, I don't. I think the Spurs are definitely uh, one of the better ones. Uh, I, you know, I think I like the I like the Grizzlies one a lot with the the trim around the arms from like the Vancouver Grizzlies jerseys with the the navy blue like that's a pretty strong look and then um i also liked minnesota's charlotte's and the lakers also stood out very big of you to to include the lakers here those are awesome like there's there's no two ways about it regardless of how you feel about the lakers these are super clean jerseys um i i think the lakers are on my short list as well memphis i do like the trim that's always going to be a winner no matter what i would have liked them to include a little bit more teal uh, but still a really nice callback to to the Vancouver days. I, Denver and the Sixers, kind of similar in a lot of ways, both including some with the rainbow patterns. Um, I, I'm not sure where that's coming from with the Sixers, but with Denver, obviously a callback to those iconic 80s uniforms. But I, I think both of those turned out pretty well. I saw a lot of criticism for the Sixers uniform, and I, I think it looks pretty clean. Yeah, you know, I I think it looks fine. I just don't know what they were trying to um, pay homage to with that. Um, you know, one that was a big disaster for me, uh, was the magic to be honest. Like, uh, I think they maybe had the right idea and then they just really screwed up with the color scheme. Um, like you, you just kind of have to be the black and blue to me, like to really make the magic to pull that off. Um, so I don't know why they went with the orangey fire, um thing but um yeah i mean i actually i think i like the bucks more than you do um i just think that that you know the the purple and green striping kind of on the side is is really really nice um i think that i think the calves are probably the worst yeah um but that's not necessarily uh surprising um I mean, some some of these are just always not my favorites, like you know Detroit, uh, right. New Orleans. Um, but, Washington, yeah. Washington is always just doing variations of its current uniform. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Same with Sacramento. Yeah, Sacramento always in that boat as well. Um, what about Miami? Which I, I think it's not the it's not the one that jumps out the most, just because it's like eighty percent black. But you know, the word mark and the letters are kind of this hodgepodge. Like they almost look like. Uh, like a serial killer, like yeah. sending a, sending a ransom note, yeah. cutting out letters from a magazine. Um, so they they basically like mixed and matched all their old fonts from the last 30 years. It, it looks a little jumbled, but at the same time, it's the heat, and they've taken some swings before with these uniforms. So like I I kind of give them the benefit of the doubt because I think the vice uniforms went over really well, and and those were somewhat controversial at the time. Um, if it was any other city, it would it would maybe be a little much, but I think it works for Miami. Yeah, I mean it's. It's not my favorite heat uniform. I mean, I think they've they've had some big big time winners over the years, and this is just kind of more uh, middle of the pack for me. I did read this morning the the yellow piping accents on the side. Uh, do you know what those are a callback to? No, <laughs> they are a callback to when they brought out the gold ropes in 2013, Game Six, when everybody thought the Spurs were about to win the title before the Ray Allen shot. Obviously, I don't know how you look at that and don't realize that that's exactly what they're referring to. <laughs> yeah, it's a classic. Every, <laughs> everyone remembers that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but overall, a good crop. Looking forward to seeing those in action. Uh, definitely needed to start with that. Easily the biggest news of the day. Uh, about a half hour before we hit record here, we got somewhat of an update on Zion Williamson via new head coach Willie Green in New Orleans. Uh, as these tend to be, especially with players like Zion, it was kind of a non-update, still pretty limited, doing five-on-no work. Um, you know, they said he's doing some, quote, explosive work, whatever that means. Um, but at the end of the day, the bottom line here is he's set for another round of MRIs in two to three weeks. So, I mean, it seems like Thanksgiving is almost like the best-case scenario for Zion to debut at this point. I mean, even if everything looks great in two to three weeks, um, presumably there still would be some sort of ramp-up period there. So I know you and I were pretty pessimistic about the situation coming into the year. I mean, if Zion ends up being in shape and debuts at the end of November and is good to go from there on out, I think that's a huge win for New Orleans. But I mean, this is just, they're one in six right now. They really haven't been all that competitive. They, they've retooled this entire roster around a guy who's now going to miss 
probably at least the first 15 to 20 games of the year. And who knows what his health looks like from here. I, I just, I, I don't want to like take a victory lap on this, but it, it does feel like, um, you know, we, for the most part made the right call, uh, avoiding Zion in fantasy leagues. I, I, you didn't end up with him anywhere. Did you? No, no. Um, yeah, he was a, a hard avoid for me. Just, uh, I mean, the availability, it just seemed like last year was kind of a best case scenario. And, um, you know, he's not a perfect fantasy player anyway. Like, I think that there was like a lot of people, you know, trying to grab Ben Simmons and stuff like on the cheap. And um, that didn't appeal to me really either, just because it's, it's not like you're getting if you, if you get Zion or you get Ben Simmons, it's not like you're getting a, a top 10 or top 12 fantasy guy necessarily. Um, they both have just really kind of glaring weaknesses in their fantasy profile if you're playing uh, Roto, which is mostly what I play. And so, um, you know, with Zion, I think it's going to be a really challenging year. I think ideally they would have a general manager in place who had some, you know, big time job security and was able to kind of think about doing stuff like, you know, maybe pivoting to a, a tank year. Um, maybe, you know, on, if I were the GM and I had job security, I would have been shopping Zion um, for the past year or so. Uh, but I don't think David Griffin has the luxury to do either of those things. And so he would assume that they are going to just kind of, put their foot on the gas as soon as he comes back and, and try to save the year and, and squeak into the play-in uh, tournament. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think that that's kind of a best-case scenario at this point because um, even when they get Zion back, it'll really help the offense, but it'll the defense will go from kind of middle of the pack to one of the worst in the league. So, um, you know, you look at the way a team like uh, the, the Timberwolves have looked, um, you know, even even like the Kings at times, the Spurs at times. Like, I, I don't think that this Pelicans team, even at full strength, is clearly better than those teams. If there's one thing we appreciate here at Rotowire, it's making good decisions. And even more so, making the right decision. I have an incredible offer for you with Rotowire's newest partner, WinBet, the premier digital casino and sportsbook app. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for Rotowire's fantasy podcast. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user-friendly interface, money line bets, boosted parlays, over-unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more are at your fingertips. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in six U.S. states, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia while rapidly expanding nationwide. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. WinBet is currently offering all RotoWire listeners a risk-free bet up to $500 on your first wager. All you have to do is download the WinBet app right now. That's WinBet, W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for RotoWire's fantasy podcast. It's, it's not like you're bringing back a... LeBron, Luka Doncic, James Harden, Steph Curry, like a guy who just automatically starts dragging you to wins whenever he's healthy. I mean, you're bringing back a guy that even, like you said, at his kind of best case scenario health-wise last year, helped you become a slightly below 500 team. You know, so it's like, it's not like all of a sudden you come back and you're, you're going to start winning 75% of your games and you can offset this rough start. Like, you're, you're probably looking at, you're, you're winning 50% of your games with Zion in the lineup at best. And and you look at their schedule over these next few weeks, like let's say Zion comes back uh, November 22nd, which would mean that he would miss 10 more games. I mean, in those 10 games, you, you do get Sacramento and you do get OKC. Maybe you could pick up a couple wins there, but the other games are Phoenix, the Warriors, Dallas, Brooklyn, Memphis, Washington, uh, which is off to a quietly good start at Miami, uh, the Clippers, and then Indiana. Um, it, it's not like you have all these great opportunities to pick up wins. You don't get to play the Houston Rockets, you know, four times in five nights or anything like that. Um, so, I mean, they could very realistically be looking at like, you know, a, a three and 13 record or something when Zion gets back. And I, I honestly, even with the West, maybe look at a little bit shaky or not quite as like crazy deep top to bottom as it has been. I, I think that's too big of a hole for Zion to single-handedly pull them out of, especially if he's probably going to need a couple weeks to play himself into shape. 
Yeah, I mean, with that that two to three week uh, timeline, which is just you know very like I wouldn't believe that at all. Like just based on them saying that, I mean, they've lied about how far away he is for for months now, basically. So um, you know, is it two to three weeks until he? can scrimmage like and, and try to get into the conditioning that he needs to be in or is it like at the end of those three weeks he will have his conditioning down and be ready to go like i mean it it, it could be another five to six weeks till he's in games you know honestly so i, I don't really know uh, when we see him i would not take the pelicans at their word on that and um you know if, if they have a bad enough record by the time he comes back it's like what what's even the point of this season like are you really going to just try to get to 30 wins um i don't know i think it's it's a really it's a really tough spot to be in especially for a gm who does not have a firm hold on that job you mentioned the possibility of potentially dealing him i i agree with you that as david griffin i don't think you can do that unless he explicitly starts pushing for it because at that point you know, all your leverage, what, what little leverage that you even have at this point is essentially gone. Um, you know, if he, if he would threaten to, to either not sign, you know, the, the rookie extension that everybody takes or, or essentially demand a trade at that point, you could kind of say like, look, my hands are tied here. You still don't want to be the GM who traded Zion, but I, I don't even think that like you wouldn't want it to come out that you're even exploring trades until Zion and until it's public, you know, that Zion's camp wants you to do that because, if you're Zion's camp, then you immediately spin that as like, wow, this, this, you know, this organization has already given up on us. And then if you're Griffin, I, I think you essentially, you know, sign the death warrant on your own job. Yeah, I mean, he's he's basically going to get fired at some point, no matter what. And it's just, does he want to, like, when, when does he want to get fired? Because, <laughs> right. you know, as soon as he, as soon as Zion, like, requests a trade, which seems inevitable, like, I mean, it. They could trade him before he requests a trade, but like mm-hmm. one way or another, he's going to get traded by the Pelicans. And at that right. point, David Griffin will lose his job. You're either the GM that traded Zion or you're the GM that went down with the ship that Zion inevitably sank. And, you know, maybe you let him walk for nothing if, if he goes in free agency. Like it's, it's a complete lose-lose proposition on every front. Um, I, I want to switch gears and talk about the Milwaukee Bucks, who uh, looked great on opening night. Uh, against the Brooklyn Nets and, and since then have floundered a little bit they're now three and four any concern whatsoever about my, Milwaukee looking a little bit sluggish uh, albeit with Drew Holiday missing three or four games now I think Brooke Lopez has missed the last five or six uh, Chris Middleton missed their game last night um, they, they really have not had anywhere close to their full rotation for any game yet but in, in years past like Milwaukee's been such a buzzsaw in the regular season that even when they've been down guys it hasn't seemed to matter quite as much as it has so far this year yeah, I just I don't think they've ever been down this many guys at the right. same time though. Um, like you know, missing Drew Holiday. Like if all you were missing is Drew Holiday, then I would expect them to be still one of the best teams in the league. And like if all you were missing is Chris Middleton or all you're missing is Brooke Lopez, then I, you know I would think you'd be able to still be a pretty good team. But when you're missing two or three of those guys every single night. Um, you know, the, the Lopez one, I think is when I, like, just when I watch the games, like that's the one that is just very painfully obvious that you just don't have enough size down low Mm -hmm. defensively. So you're asking, um, all your power forwards to play center and all your small forwards to play power forward. And it just, it just really kind of messes up the, the defensive integrity, um, not having Lopez there. So. And especially considering they went into the season with this sort of undersized front court depth um, where like Bobby Portis is basically the backup center. Mm-hmm. Like you just don't have like it'd be great to even just have Robin Lopez, you know, that you could just put in there yeah. and um, just have a, a legitimate defensive center um, when Brooke Lopez is sidelined. But they don't have that right now. And then you also don't have your two best defensive guards in Holiday and DiVincenzo. So. I just think that, you know, they're going to be able to score points when it's Giannis and shooters, but defensively, I think they're just really, really hurting. I would almost bet that Robin Lopez is back on this roster at some point. I do think that is their biggest issue. It's it's not even that you're missing Brooke Lopez. It's that the drop off from Brooke Lopez to uh, suddenly Thanasa Santetokounmpo, who's playing like 25 minutes a night, um, and you're having to play, you know, basically like a rookie in Jordan Wara, who has very limited experience. Like he's playing 25 minutes a night. Pat Connaughton's playing like 33 minutes a night. Um, they, they are a deep team when everybody's healthy. Like all of those guys played the right amount of minutes. 
But you take away two guys from the starting lineup, two 30-minute-per-game players in Holiday and Lopez, all of a sudden they don't look so deep anymore. And I think they're particularly vulnerable at center. And we should also note that Bobby Portis missed, I think, the first at least four, maybe five games Mm -hmm. of the year. So not only were you down Brooke Lopez, you were down really his only true replacement other than, of course, sliding Giannis up to center. Yeah, I mean, they've they've been playing worse players in the rotation than they've ever really had to play um, over this last three or four years. I mean, like Justin Robinson. Um, yeah, <laughs> not not a not an NBA caliber point guard. I've watched a lot of these games with friends so far, and I would say at least three times, three separate people have been like, "Who the hell is that guy?" And I've had to be like, "Oh, well, of course, that's Justin Robinson. He's playing. He's now playing 20 minutes a night for this team. So get used to it." Um, yeah, unfamiliar territory for the Bucks. They they would still be my pick. Uh, I, I think to to at least win the regular season in the East, especially with Brooklyn looking a little shaky as well. Uh, we'll see, you know, if and when James Harden comes around, how much that changes things. The new NBA season is underway, and Yahoo is excited to kick off daily fantasy basketball. There will be a ton of big prize contests throughout the season on Yahoo, including their multi-entry contest now being offered shark-free. To celebrate the beginning of basketball season and Yahoo Daily Fantasy becoming shark-free, Yahoo is giving all users the opportunity to claim a free $10 in site credit. Users can take advantage of this free $10 site credit offer to join one of Yahoo's biggest contests. In addition to the free credit, Yahoo will have a Friday main contest as well as single game contest all season long. Play in a single game contest of your choice throughout the week, then join our Friday main contest to compete for our largest cash prize. Play daily fantasy basketball on Yahoo this season. Visit sports.yahoo.com slash daily fantasy slash welcome to get started. The Rotowire NBA podcast is brought to you by Vivid Seats. Preseason basketball has wrapped up and we're ready for the regular season to tip off this week. Live events are making a comeback and there's no better place to be than Vivid Seats to get back into the action. So grab your NBA tickets and cheer on your favorite team from the stands. Man, that feels good to say. Even better, Vivid Seats just launched a new and improved rewards program with free tickets for every single fan. Earn rewards, ticket upgrades, and perks just for shopping with Vivid Seats. If you're looking for tickets to the game, your favorite artist, or that new show that everyone is talking about, Vivid Seats has it all. Visit vividseats.com. That's V-I-V-I-D-S-E-A-T-S, vividseats.com or download the Vivid Seats app today. Vivid Seats, life happens live. I want to ask you about the Knicks and the Bulls. Both teams 5-1 and one heading into Monday night. Chicago's only loss is to New York. New York's only loss, uh, kind of a weird one against Orlando last weekend. Which of these teams do you believe more in, uh, as far as you know, a team that could potentially win at least one series in the Eastern Conference playoffs? Well, I don't think either team's going to win a playoff series. Um, but if I had to say which team's more likely to win a playoff series, um, probably the Bulls. Uh, I just think that the way that they've the way that they've been able to play with Caruso and Lonzo, uh, just doing all the all this like kind of havoc defense on the perimeter um, has has molded pretty well with uh, the offensive identity that they have with those those three guys who, who don't play a ton of defense. Um, you know, like Zach, Zach Levine could be the best player in a playoff series. Uh, I don't really see like like I, I think I just trust Zach Levine more in that type of situation than I do Julius Randle, uh, for instance. But um, yeah, I mean, I, even even though both these teams have gotten off to a really strong start uh, from a record standpoint, you know, I wouldn't wouldn't favor them against the Heat. Wouldn't favor them against the Sixers if you had a healthy Embiid. Wouldn't favor them against the Nets. Wouldn't favor them against the Bucks. Wouldn't favor them against the Hawks. So, um, you know, it's 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 good that they're you know maybe going to be able to avoid the the play-in tournament if they can keep this up. But I still don't really buy them as teams that could win a playoff series unless they're matched up against each other in like the four right. or five or something like that. Yeah, I was going to say that's probably the ideal scenario is these teams play for the four or five and, you know, it's, it's probably a seven game series because I, I, they are weirdly evenly matched. I, I think Chicago is way top heavier. New York, obviously, arguably the deepest team in the East, probably right up there uh, with Atlanta. 
I, I do worry about the Patrick Williams absence long-term for Chicago. I mean, it's kind of a similar situation to what we talked about with Milwaukee, where when everybody's healthy, I, I think you, you really like the Chicago roster. All of a sudden, you take away a guy like that, and Javante Green is in your starting lineup, and you're forced to play Troy Brown and Derek Jones and Alizé Johnson. Um, somebody named Marco Simonovic might be in the rotation at some point. Um, they very, very little depth beyond like that top six or seven. And I think the power forward spot in particular was probably the one the one position where they really couldn't afford an injury. And, and you know, technically you could slide DeRozan up to power forward. Javante Green has some size. Um, but but I, I feel like Patrick Williams was weirdly like a perfect fit for that team as a guy who could just be like a defensive specialist, not really expect anything on offense. And, and now you take that away for several months. Um, I, I don't I have questions, I guess, as to how the rest of that depth chart will be able to make up for that. Yeah, no, I, I agree with all that. Um, that, you know, that was part of the reason why I was low on this team coming into the year is they were really relying a lot on Patrick Williams in theory. Um, you know, I think I think some of those guys you listed, like Javante Green, Alize Johnson, like they're better than people might realize. But um, yeah, I mean, that's a that's a big hole for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to touch in on Michael Porter Jr., who I, I believe we hit on last week. I, I don't remember if that was with you or, or with Alex, but he was off to a, start, a pretty slow start last week. Uh, remains very much off to a slow start. Had seven points uh, in Saturday's win over Minnesota. Uh, we're now six games in, and Michael Porter Jr. is yet to score more than 15 points. He's averaging 10.8 points per game on 33% shooting, 25% from three. Um, the attempts have started to get there. Like the first couple of games, he was only taking like 10 shots a game. Um, you know, he, he's done a little bit better job of being more aggressive these last few, but still only four free throw attempts through six games so far. I, I do think he'll come around at some point, but you know, we've, we've talked about other guys who've gotten off to slow starts and this isn't Damian Lillard where you have a decade's worth of fantastic ultra consistent seasons to fall back on. Uh, I'm a little bit more concerned about MPJ than I am some of the other players who are off to slower starts. Yeah, you know, I mean, I I was the one who brought him up uh, a week ago just because I was having some buyer's remorse for, mm-hmm. for ending up with him um, on a handful of teams. Uh, I think it's a decent time to try to buy low on Porter in fantasy. I just, you know, the fact that he is he's just going to have a big role in this offense. Like they just don't really have any choice, but for him to have a big role in this offense. And um, as you said, he is getting the shots up. Um, I mean, he, he was such an elite shooter last year that I just can't Mm -hmm. buy that. This is some sort of new normal. I mean, he's clearly like, he's not going to shoot. Like he's shooting 30% basically from the field over his last four games. Like he's going to, even if he only gets up into like the like 44, 45% range, I, I think that that's somewhere that he is going to end up. Um, and then like the three point shooting, he's, he's shooting like less than 25% from three. And that's just, like, that's, that's like a 40% skill for him last mm-hmm. year. So I, just, I can't, I can't believe that he somehow just got that much worse as a shooter. So um, I think there are better days ahead. That doesn't mean that, you know, he was he probably was getting overdrafted and I, I overdrafted him probably. Um, I had someone ask if I would trade Michael Porter for Lonzo Ball. Um, I thought that that was kind of a, a good either or. Um, yeah. I think if, if you were redrafting. Yeah, I think Porter was probably going maybe 15, 20 picks ahead of Lonzo before the season i think now that they'd probably go around the same spot um so he's you know i I think he's still a clear top 50 player but i thought there was a chance he could be a top 20 player and i i don't really think that's going to happen anymore where do you come in on the indiana pacers who are currently one of seven one win teams in the nba um the the clippers the rockets the thunder the pelicans the pacers the magic and the pistons all have one win. Uh, I think the two that stand out from that group are the Pacers and the Clippers. Uh, the Clippers, I think, will be fine. They've had a couple weird games so far. Um, but I, I certainly expected Indiana to not be in the same breath as Detroit and Orlando at the very bottom of the Eastern Conference. 
they did get Karis LeVert back over the weekend. I think you, you want to see it through and, and, and see how he plays once he's back at full strength. But uh, Malcolm Brogdon already banged up again with, with that hamstring issue. Um, it, it's been it's been weird because I think Miles Turner's played well. Uh, Brogdon was playing really well before he got hurt. Chris Duarte has been about as good as you could possibly expect. Um, Sabonis has been fantastic. Uh, it, it just hasn't really added up to me as a one in six team. But I, I do wonder, like, if, if Levert comes back at full strength in a week or two, and you know you're still middling and, and you're still struggling to to get back closer to 500, this is a team that was mentioned as a potential Ben Simmons suitor. I don't really know where that currently stands, but I think the more games they lose, the more that possibility or or just generally becoming a seller, uh, I think that that looks more and more realistic. Yeah, I mean, I think that you might already have seen a Ben Simmons Pacers trade happen if the Pacers roster was like a little bit different. Like their two best players or, or at least two of their three best players are essentially centers. And so, mm-hmm. like, if, if you had a player who was considered as good as Demontis Sabonis, but he played shooting guard, then I think you could maybe come up with a, a pretty logical Ben Simmons trade. But the Sixers can't play Sabonis or Miles Turner with Joel Embiid. So, I mean, maybe they could try to play Sabonis with him. I don't think that that just doesn't seem like something that would appeal to Daryl Morey at all to, to go with the two big men lineup. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's probably the holdup is the Pacers. The most obvious thing for them to do is to trade one of their big men, but you can't really headline a Simmons deal like that. So maybe they need like a third team or something. Uh Maybe they just don't want to trade Sabonis and they're angling around what they can get for like Miles Turner or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, e- either way, it's going to be tough for them because, you know, Turner is their, you know, the, kind of the, the defensive identity that they have. And if, if you're all of a sudden playing Sabonis without a guy like Turner next to him, I mean, I think your defense is just going to be terrible. So I don't, I don't really know what they're going to do. Um, I think it's, you know, maybe they'll just want to get healthy, get Levert healthy, sort of see what they can do mm-hmm. from there. Because I think he, Levert was like going to be a huge, huge uh, focal point for them offensively this year. So, um, you know, I, I think you're right. I think they, they definitely could become a, a trade um, destination or, or partner for a lot of these teams mm-hmm. once Rick Carlisle gets a better sense of the roster. But uh, I just I don't really see something being all that imminent. Yeah, they're, they're in a weird situation salary-wise, too. I mean, you have Brogdon for three more years at $22.5 million, uh, locked in for all three of those years. Sabonis for two more years. Like, you don't really have these like, expirings that, that you're looking to potentially deal and, and kind of retool on the fly. So if, if they become sellers, you know, it would probably be like a full clean-out uh, with how those salaries break down. And, and I think you're right that they would probably prefer to trade Turner and or Brogdon. I, I think Sabonis is, is the guy that they'd want to build around. And, and if you're trading him to a team that already has a center – like Embiid, uh, that that makes it all the more difficult. I, I wouldn't panic quite yet if I were them. I, I think you got to get at least like 10 to 15 games under your belt with a healthy Levert and preferably with a healthy Brogdon next to him. We'll see how long uh, he's affected by that hamstring injury. But I don't know. I mean, all it takes is like a three in one week and, uh, you know, you're four and seven instead of one and six. And then you're sitting at like the nine spot in the East instead of 15th. And I, I think it's pretty easy for a team that was in the play in last year yeah, I don't think teams like this are going to panic. I, I think if you're Detroit, if you're Orlando, if you're OKC, if you're Houston, you're you're not going to be making this crazy run for the play-in because you don't really want to. Like, you're totally fine starting the year one and five. But a team that has ambitions like Indiana, I don't think you need to get discouraged after two and a half weeks because it, it's still very much attainable to make your way up to the 10 spot. It's really not asking all that much in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, and I mean, they've got time on their side in terms of, you know, like they, they want to evaluate the roster and Carlisle wants to get a sense of like what he's got and all these guys. And if it turns out that in like two months that it's just not going to be their year and they, they want to pivot mm-hmm. uh, to become sellers, you know, it, it's not going to be that hard to finish with like the seventh worst record in the league this year. Um, right. Even if you're even if you like decide you're going to go that direction a little bit later. I mean, you can look what like the Raptors did last year. Yeah. Um, hard pivot at the end of the year. Hard, hard, hard pivot, and uh, <laughs> they got a they got a stud. So, I mean, yeah. Um, I think that they're just going to take their time. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, so some of those other one-win teams. Uh, I'm going to name five. Houston, OKC, New Orleans, Detroit, Orlando. Have you have you been like weirdly enamored with any of these teams? Like, is there one of them that if, if you could take over the GM job today, you, you would you would pick this one over the other four? Um, yeah, uh, I think I'd I think I'd probably be looking at that Thunder job. Um. I mean, I definitely wouldn't want the Pelicans job or the Magic job. Um, I think those are the those are the two worst of the jobs. Yes. And then, um, you know, with with Houston, like, you know, Jalen Green is is kind of your key building block, and Kate Cunningham's your your key guy with with Detroit. But you know, I really like um, sort of the the upside that Josh Giddy seems to have. Um, you know, SGA is is probably the best player on any of those five teams besides Zion. Um, and then you just have all those picks. You're going to get another, you know, you could get like Paulo Banchero or something this year. Um, and then all of a sudden you've got, because I mean, I think if, if SGA is your second best prospect and Josh Giddy is your third best prospect, I think you've got a really bright future they just kind of need to get one more um Mm -hmm. big time guy and then they've just still got a ton of picks um you know lou dort hasn't been like he's kind of regressed i think a little bit um i'll I'll say i I think lou dort became a little bit overrated based on a few like big time because he got he he was so impressive and he was like it really impressive at like something that's so hard to find, you know, someone that could guard James Harden like that in a, in a playoff series. But, um, you know, he never really developed the three point shot. And so that just puts a lot of pressure on his defense. And I just don't, I don't think he's maybe as good of a defender as I, as I thought he'd be at this stage. Yeah. And like you said, it's, it's kind of tough to quantify you know, like he's he's never been like a huge steals per game guy. So, it, it, you know, you look at the steals numbers and you're like, oh, he's regressed. And I don't know. I mean, it, it's also hard when you're playing on that team and you're overmatched in like 95 percent of the games you're playing and you haven't played in a even like medium leverage game in multiple years. Um, so I, I don't know. It does make it tough to evaluate. But I don't know when you look at this roster T or this uh, Thunder roster going forward, like if Lou Dort's there, I, I think that's great. But I, I don't I think he's kind of fallen out of the like this guy's absolutely in our core going forward tier. Yeah. I think you could see him get traded um, mm-hmm. or maybe he signs an extension and then gets traded shortly after signing the extension. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I love, I, I'm excited to see where the Rockets are in like two years and where the Pistons are in two years. Um, you know, the magic, uh, I'm not that excited to see where they are in two years. And I think I know where the Pelicans are going to be in two years. So, um, Seattle, Washington. I mean, (laughs) I mean, please, uh, put, put the, put the poor people in New Orleans out of their misery. (laughs) 
yeah, this might be the first time we've ever seen a fan base like pushing to get rid of a team, like just, just for like <laughs> mental health reasons. Um, we should mention briefly, by the way, Kate Cunningham did debut on Saturday against Orlando. 2.7 rebounds, two assists, one block, two turnovers, one of eight from the field, 0 of five from three in 19 minutes. So not a ton of takeaways there. He ended up resting uh, for their game Sunday at Brooklyn on the second night of a back-to-back. Wouldn't be surprised if it takes a while for them to ramp him up. Um, we have, I think we have an even more interesting rookie of the year race right now. And I know with the caveat that we're less than three weeks into the year, um, but we, we knew there were going to be a lot of good rookies in this class. Uh, I, I think like Scotty Barnes has been even better than expected. I think Evan Mobley has been even better than expected. And, and a lot of people thought those guys would be good and they've been that good so far. Uh, Duarte, like I mentioned earlier, has been fantastic. I think Giddy has exceeded expectations and then on the other hand, you know, you have a guy like Jalen Suggs, who, who's maybe been a little bit of a letdown. Uh, Kate Cunningham only playing 19 minutes so far, obviously a bit of a letdown. But how do you how do you kind of assess or handicap this rookie of the year race so far? Because Kate Cunningham has now fallen to third in the odds behind Jalen Green, who's at three to one, Scotty Barnes, four to one. And then you have Cunningham down at plus 450. I, I do think Cunningham's eventually going to get some of that hype back, but you know, some of these fast starts for other guys coupled with him just not playing and the Pistons being a complete disaster. Um, it, it feels like that's, that's kind of worn off um, what a lot of people were looking forward to with Cunningham. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm being too much of a prisoner of the moment, but I, it kind of feels like Mobley and Barnes are in the driver's seat as mm-hmm. one, two in some order. Uh, I mean, I think that's fair to say today and then 10 days from now acknowledge that maybe green's back in front or Cunningham's back in front. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I think if there was a vote today, I think it would be Barnes Mobley in some order. And I think those guys are both talented enough and have both looked good enough that I could see them just kind of keeping this momentum going. Um, I'm not, I'm not worried about Barnes like it, when when Pascal Siakam comes back, I think Barnes has just been good enough and is a key part of their future to the point where I just I don't really see him being some sort of odd man out or anything like that. Um, I think that you would just see them kind of play Siakam at center a decent amount, um, just kind of that that five wing lineup that they can put out there, uh, or four wings and Fred VanVleet. Um, Barnes, like defensive versatility and Siakam and OG Ananobi, like those guys could play, you know, one through four or two through four or whatever. So, um, I think Barnes is going to keep this up, um, to a large extent. And I mean, he, he's not shooting the ball well from three. I think he'll keep that up, but I think the other stuff he's doing is, is pretty sustainable. Um, and then Mobley, I mean, Mobley, I think looks like the guy that, I, honestly, if, if we were redrafting today, I, I would take Mobley number one. I mean, I think he looks the most like a future superstar so far. Yeah, I think everything you said is pretty much spot on there. I do think we could see Scotty Barnes' numbers fall off a little bit. I mean, he's, he's had some games where he's taken like 17, 18 shots. And I think once Siakam's back, that probably dissipates a little bit. But I don't think his minutes are going to fall off all that much. I think you're right. I, I don't think they love any of their options really at center. You know, they started off with the Chua and now his minutes have kind of waned a little bit these last few games. Chris Boucher been in and out of the doghouse for the last like five years. Um, Ken Birch really hasn't made all that much of an impact. So I, I think the more that they can play that Siakam at the five lineup with Barnes and OG, that that's what they're going to try to do. But I, I've just, I've been so impressed with Scotty Barnes. I, I think it's, it's kind of looking like a classic guy who was, who was obviously good enough in college to, to warrant being a top five pick, but the type of player who, once you get him on an NBA court with improved spacing and improved teammates, like it, things just open up for him. And, and that was so clear on opening night. And he's just continued to get better and better. Um, I mean, he, he had more free throw attempts in their last game on Saturday than Michael Porter has all year. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's that, that typically I mean, rookies very rarely come in with high free throw rates. And he's been to the line at least twice in every game so far. Uh, and to your point on Mobley, I, I think if you're looking at you know, how do how do Jalen Green and how do Cade Cunningham, you know, work their way back to the top of this? I, like Green, I think, could have enough impressive scoring games where it turns into uh, kind of like last year where you know, people were pretty much out on Anthony Edwards through like 20 games. 
And then, you know, things started to come to him and it, it, you know, he basically looked like the player he is now over the second half of last season. I could completely see that happening with Jalen Green. In fact, I think that's what will happen. Like the more experience he gets, um, hopefully that Rockets team starts to look a little bit more competent around him. Um, I think he's going to be really, really good for like the final 30 or 40 games of the year. But like with Cunningham, I, I think the same thing could happen. But like, what are the chances that he plays significantly better than what we've seen from Evan Mobley? Because like Mobley's been so good lately, um, and you know that you could you could throw out Saturday's game against Phoenix because you know we're we're kind of catching him at a low point. He had two points, four rebounds, four assists, 21 minutes in that game. Basically made no impact. But I mean, the six games before that, 15 and a half points, 8.2 rebounds, 2.3 assists, 1.3 steals, 1.7 blocks. Um, and on top of that, I mean, everybody like people are making like defensive highlight videos of this guy already. And it's and it's not highlight blocks. It's like just a, a video, like a two minute video of him just being in the right place. Yeah, I think that, that the defense is going to make it uh, challenging for Mobley or Jalen Green to like blow past him because right. he's just he's going to have that edge over those guys defensively. So they have to just be clearly superior offensive players to him and um you know i i don't like kate cunningham's situation and i thought i'd like jalen green's situation more than i actually do because he just he's not in positions to have success and you know as much as i hate the idea of you know jared allen and evan mobley being like a front court that you build around you know, I think you probably can just trade Jared Allen when it's time to move Mobley to center full time. And right now, Mobley's in just such a good position to have success because he's going up against power forwards and, you know, he's got the physical advantage on a lot of them. And, uh, you know, Garland and Sexton, like they're not great, but they're they're like competent NBA players, whereas like Kevin Porter is just a turnover machine. Um, a lot of a lot of the other guys just can't shoot at all, so there's just no spacing uh, on Houston. Um, like Christian Woods, like the second best shooter on the court at a, at a lot of times, and uh, that just makes it tough for Jalen Green to operate. Um, and then in Detroit, you know, you got the Killian Hayes at point guard situation. Um, there's not a lot of spacing next to Cade either, so. I think Mobley and Barnes are just in really nice situations um, if you're just kind of comparing those top four picks uh, relative to Green and Cunningham. And then, uh, you know, I think I think Josh Giddy is looking like the better player than, than Jalen Suggs. Um, like, I think that's kind of the, the top five in the draft, I'd, I'd say the four that we've been talking about. And then mm-hmm. it, it seems like Josh Giddy um you know chris duarte will probably make first team all rookie just from a production standpoint but he's not someone that i would typically vote for for rookie of the year like kind of along the malcolm brogdon lines like i think if there's another player like an evan mobley or like a scotty barnes who has a similar season to duarte then i think you give it to the guy who is the much more promising long-term prospect yeah, this just isn't the year for a player like Duarte to win it. But there certainly have been years where he would be like the runaway favorite right now. I mean, he's averaging 18 points, five rebounds, two and a half assists, uh, 2.5 threes per game at 40%. Like that's that's probably better. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but like that's better than what Brogdon or, or Michael Carter-Williams did in those years. But but like you alluded to, there weren't like four or five other stud prospects to compete with in those classes. The one thing I, I think, too, that might end up helping – Evan Mobley is the Cavs being like somewhat remotely competent. I I would like to go on the record that I, I do think the Cavs are still going to be bad. I, I don't think they're going to make the play in, um, but they're three and four right now. And they, they at least have banked some good wins and they've looked like kind of, kind of a mini version of what we've seen from Minnesota, where it's like kind of, kind of the same team as the last few years, but you know, they're just starting to take some steps toward competence. And I, I don't think you could say the same uh, about Orlando or Houston or OKC. Um, I, I, or Detroit certainly is in that category as well. But if the Cavaliers are like, have like 10 more wins than those teams and Evan Mobley is a major contributor to those wins, even if Jalen Green ends up averaging more points or Kate Cunningham, you know, has more counting stats. I, I think Mobley like potentially being the reason that Cleveland has moved towards being closer to a mediocre team 
um, could ultimately give him a little bit of a bump too. Yeah, I mean, he's he got the chance to have narrative on his side. Uh, I mean, Scotty Barnes, like, yeah, you know, the the Raptors, the Raptors could finish with a top like five or six seed in the East. I think, like, I mean, if if they get Siakam back soon, and um, like we've just seen, like, <clears throat> you know, I, I think you're right about like the Bucks, like the Bucks, the Hawks, and the Nets. They're all like around 500. Like they're all gonna be up there, but I don't necessarily think the Wizards are gonna hang around. Um, mm-hmm. And the Knicks and the Bulls, I think, are playing a little above their heads too. So I mean, if if the Raptors get like the five seed, um, you could see Scotty Barnes having a, a really big role in that. Mm-hmm. I mean, with the Wizards, we'll see if if Dennis Rodman 2.0, Kyle Kuzma can keep giving them 15 and 12 every single night. Has anyone asked LeBron, um, like, why uh, none of these young players ever play well when they're with him, but then they <laughs> play much better when they when they leave? Uh, would, I know. The, would, he the just list give you, is, would he just give you the stink eye and just right. refuse to answer? The list is extensive. Uh, I, maybe I'll go back and <laughs> compile that for next week's pod. But and there's so many names that come to mind. Obviously, all those guys that went to New Orleans in, in the, the AD trade, like Brandon Ingram immediately went from, like, mega disappointing number two pick to like 25 point per game score all-star uh, like even even like Jordan Clarkson who only played I think that half season or season and a half in Cleveland he leaves Cleveland and immediately becomes a sixth man of the year um I don't know I mean it's not that hard to fit it to figure out right like it's just yeah. the like playing with LeBron is difficult and you don't really get to play your game you have to play LeBron's game whenever you're on the court with him and I, I think especially if you're a developing scoring wing which is what LeBron is um it, it's really hard to find your place and and I, I think Kuzma is a different type of player than Brandon Ingram but the Ingram example is the one I think that's most striking where he, he went from looking like a legitimate potential bust or you know it was like at best maybe he's just like an Andrew Wiggins type who could get you 20 22 points per game but you know isn't really going to add all that much to a guy who who looks really good and it looks like he's going to be like a 25 to 30 point per game scorer for the next five to seven years would uh would you rather have Kuzma on the Lakers or Russell Westbrook? Uh, come on. Come on. <laughs> I would, I'd rather have Buddy Heald, all right? And I'd rather have like, – you could probably still have Kuzma and or Contavious Coldwell-Pope. I, I would rather have more depth plus Buddy Heald, who is like the ideal – like the, the, all the shooters that LeBron has played with have been like 37-year-old Ray Allen, 38-year-old Kyle Korver, 35-year-old Channing Frye. Like you're, you're getting like a legitimate guy who's on that level – but also in his prime and still athletic and can still do other things other than just shoot and not get toasted on defense, like every single possession. I, I don't know. It, it's almost like it made too much sense. So they had to pivot to the move that made the least sense. I mean, uh, do we want to talk about the shot? Uh, the the miss by Westbrook the last mi- night. Um, it's hard to convey. I mean, hopefully you weren't watching this Lakers game last night. It, it was not a pretty watch. They, they dominated the Houston Rockets, but Russell Westbrook had the worst miss I've ever seen. And I, I, I sent you the video on Slack and, and somebody responded and was like, I don't think I've ever seen a worse miss. And I, I thought about it and I could not come up with anything outside of like, you know, end of half heaves. Like I, I always picture that, that Enos Cantor, like one handed throw that ended up going like 50 feet over the basket into the stands. But in terms of a routine open pull up mid range jumper, like the ball just kept sailing left and like, it, it like almost went over the backboard. I, I don't understand the physics of how this happened. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like, you know, in football, um, you can just, like, lose your grip on the ball and just, like, airmail a receiver. Or, like, in, in golf, you can, like, skull the ball and just, like, hit it way harder than, than you were intending. But I, I haven't seen, like, the basketball equivalent of that in the half court like that, where no. you just, like, lost all control of how hard the shot was going at, at the rim. Oh my oh, God. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing to miss left or right or long or short. It's hard to do both. I mean, this was like 99th percentile left and 99th percentile uh, too far. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like we could compare it to like the mellow shot from last week, which which was the miss until this one. Um, but that was understandable. Like, everybody's been there. I've, I've played plenty of pickup basketball. I've, I've airballed a lot of shots short. I've never seen anything like this. I'll, maybe I'll, I'll try to splice in the audio or, or at least include the video um, in the post on the site, because if you haven't seen the shot, man, I mean, it's kind of a microcosm of, of what the Westbrook experience in L.A. has been so far. 
Uh, before we head out, I'll, I'll just give you a couple minutes here to talk about Jaden McDaniels. What's going on? Is the MVP oh, case still heating up? I know you targeted him in a ton of leagues. The minutes have been there. He started every game, uh, but but kind of a slow start for Jaden McDaniels. Yeah, the uh, I mean through through three games he was averaging two blocks per game, which is pretty good for a forward. Um, he's still averaging a steal and a block and a half per game, which you know that that the whole reason why I was interested is like you know this is a guy who is gonna give me steals blocks threes um fouls <laughs> uh the threes part is uh iffy so far he's got two threes in five games um he's had a i think he's got a usage rate under a single digit usage rate which is which is hard to do um so he has fully embraced a a backseat role in this offense uh, in the early going. And um, it's just, it's tough uh, because he's someone that like, if you drafted him for, you know, you're probably counting on him for at least a block a game as part of, you know, how you're going to contend in that category, mm-hmm. but he's hurting you so much um, at, in points and, you know, all the efficiency categories, like, it's just tough to keep him in your lineup when you're only getting you know, four or five points per game from him. Um, so I I like the way he fits with this Timberwolves roster, but just the, the fact that, I mean, Anthony David or Anthony Edwards, um, I mean, he loves to shoot uh, more than maybe any player in the league. Honestly, <laughs> like Anthony Edwards gets the ball and, and it's, it's usually going up. And, you know, D'Angelo Russell, Carnathy Towns, they're going to get their shots up, too. So there's just not much um, for McDaniels to do in the offense right now. Maybe there's a McDaniels for Zion swap in there if, if New Orleans gets desperate enough. Just kind of, you know, my, my underachieving player for your underachieving player. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd explore that. Edwards, by the way, has been off to it's been an interesting start. Like, it, it, for the most part, encouraging. Like, I, I think you want the aggression. He, he's up like four points per game. Compared to last year, he's, he's almost at eight and a half rebounds per game, which which is awesome to see a guy that has that size and athleticism, you know, put that to good use. 88% at the free throw line. That's fantastic. He, he's about 32% from three, um, which is not great, but around where he was last season on, on increased volume, almost nine and a half attempts per game. But he's at 39% from the field, which obviously that's not great. I, I think we, we expect that to come up hopefully closer to 43, 44, 45 as the season goes on, but overall, I think I've been really encouraged. I mean, he's taking five more shots per game like last year. So you're, you're certainly on the right track there. Uh, the turnover rate isn't really up all that much. Um, and, and again, the fact that he's, you know, at seemingly for now, at least improved at the free throw line, which was a liability last year, 77%. Um, I feel like that portends good results in terms of that field goal percentage longer term. Yeah. I mean, I think the, Free throw percentage is great, but I mean, averaging 23 points on 22 shots a game is is tough. Um, it's, it's very a 2007 NBA. So he, I mean, he's, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to say I'm encouraged or really discouraged. I think it's been a, you know, this is kind of the, the player that had people sort of down on him as a rookie and as a, as a prospect. So I mean, it's just, it's something to keep an eye on. Um, you know, you, if you're going to take 22 shots a game, you really got to get that efficiency up. And I think, I think he can, but mm-hmm. um, I mean, he just, he takes more, he might not take more shots than anyone else, but he takes more bad shots than anyone else. And like, he's really, he's really got no conscience in terms of like right. when he's going to get up a shot. So um, he's either going to have to start, taking fewer bad shots or making them at a higher clip. I would bank on the latter being the case. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know that he's going to dramatically decrease the attempts. I, I just feel like you, if you want this guy, you know, you, you want him to develop into a top flight, you know, top 10 to 15 player in the league. Um, so I'm glad that the confidence is there because I think it'd be a little bit more concerning if he, if his attempts were like the same or down or you know, he's deferring to Malik Beasley, you know, he's deferring to D'Angelo Russell. Uh, you probably prefer that he defer to Towns a little bit yeah. more than he has. 
Um, but but overall, yeah, I, I, was gonna, I, I just I just want to see the confidence. I mean, it reminds me. It, it kind of reminds me of when like Westbrook and Durant were in OKC, and you would just always wish that like five of Westbrook shots per game were going to Durant instead. And um, like because when you know Carlton Towns has just been incredible, and for Anthony Edwards to be taking like six more shots a game than Carlton Towns when Towns is shooting. 53% from the field, 50% from three, 96% from the line. Um, you probably want to have that kind of flip-flopped in terms of where those shots are coming from. All right, man. Good stuff as always. Uh, enjoy chatting with you. Uh, we'll be doing this most Mondays throughout the NBA season. So uh, once again, James, appreciate you taking the time, buddy. Sure thing. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.